It's good to be back. Um, I have been in Dallas, and I've been studying and reading, and lots and lots of reading. And uh, I've made some good friends in Dallas, you know, uh, mostly around my age, late 20s. And so, uh, uh, all of my obscure knowledge of 1980s cartoons is suddenly relevant again, right? Uh, that whole portion of my brain can be reopened to connect with people. The fact that I know that Elias Cotius played Casey Jones in the 1990 live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie helps me to connect with people. Amen. Right. Thank you. See? Obscure, but relevant. Over there. Not here. Uh, uh, classes are going well, too. Um, I haven't taken any preaching classes yet, so lower your expectations. Let's lower them. Um, I haven't spoken in a year, so let's lower our expectations. <laughs> um, I have met a lot of people in Dallas. Um, one person that I met, I met, he's in my Greek class, and uh, he came to school two weeks after school started. Uh, his name is Tan Leon, and Tan is from Burma, or Myanmar, and if you recall, Burma is not very friendly to Christians. In 2008, they had a terrible cyclone that hit, and the authorities refused to give relief to Christians specifically because they were Christians. And so, uh, but Tan has gotten a U.S. visa, which is very hard to get. He left his wife in Myanmar for that time and has come to seminary so that he can study and go back and train his own people. And my question is, what would compel a person to be so committed to Jesus Christ, to go through those kind of sufferings? And stay committed. Uh, I want to open today's message with the story of Adoniram Judson, uh, one of the pioneering missionaries to Burma in the 1800s. Um, but first, let's let's ask God to let His Spirit move and work in us this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity, for this chance to be back home um, among friends and family, and to speak Your Word. And so, Lord, I just ask this morning that Your Spirit would um, show us any areas that we need to change, that your spirit would inspire us and work in our hearts and move in your hearts by your word. Lord, I pray that I would speak your word and that, uh, that you would approve of that by working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Adoniram Judson. How many of you have ever heard of him? Wonderful. He, uh, I first read about him in my missions class last semester. He was a Baptist missionary from Massachusetts in the early 1800s, along with his wife, Anne. And uh, he started in India, but Burma was his first preference, despite the fact that foreigners were treated so poorly by the Burmese. His time in Burma would produce severe suffering, unlike many of us will ever uh, experience. On the voyage to Burma, his wife, Anne, would undergo a stillbirth. And this would just be the beginning of suffering for Adoniram Judson and his family. Among his other sufferings, he and Anne would lose all three children that were born to them in Burma. None of them would live past six months old, constantly battered, battling fever and government oppression. 
Uh, Adoniram would be thrown into a death prison for 17 months where every night he was hoisted up by his ankles, by his ankle chains, so that only his head rested on the ground in not so uh, humane conditions with rats and all kind of vermin running around. Can you imagine? Anne would die of a fever while they were separated. And to warn her, he would go into the jungle, build a hut and a grave, and keep vigil for her. And he did this uh, for a long time. He would say, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Eventually, he would recover from this depression with the encouragement of prayer and encouragement from friends and go on to marry two more times, the second wife dying on the voyage back to America. He would have, what's the number, eight children in ten years with this wife. And eventually her body couldn't handle the strain anymore. Um, So she would pass away. With his other wife, he would have more children. In total, uh, he would have ten more children by these women, with only five of the children surviving to adulthood. He himself would die of lung disease at age 61, uh, with his third wife, half his age, dying shortly afterward. And this only scratches the surface. I didn't want to go into too much detail, but this only scratches the surface of the kind of suffering uh, Adoniram Judson would go through during his time in Burma. The question is, what would compel someone to remain in a place and even consistently return to that place where he had known so much suffering? And so the question for us is, how will we respond to the suffering that is inescapable and inevitable in our own lives? You know, I listened to Brother Brian reading the prayer sheet this morning. And um, welcoming Sister Jen, and just I look around a congregation, I see so many faces that have experienced so much suffering uh, just within the past year. And just in, just to name a few, uh, look at Brother Anton and his poor hand. I mean, have you watched him type? It's so sad to watch a one-handed man type. I feel bad. You can't miss him directing now, though, right? There you go. Wait. <laughs> He'll get me later. But but we have had more serious problems, right? I mean, I think back to Michael Worrell and having to have his leg purposefully broken so that he would be able to walk in the future. Um, Mr. Stephen Roberts had a car accident, had his, his ankle shattered, surgeries and all the adjustments that come with that and pain. Um, but Gary Lowe, undergoing cancer treatments, Sister Sally Colebrook, um, and we, I mean, I can't even, we, you can't go very far without running into someone in Calvary who has an experience, who has experienced suffering in this last year. Um, we all know about our senior pastor, Alan Lee, and his back problems that turned into emergency open heart surgery, and now he's recovering. And most recently, um, the devastating loss of Amala um, McGeeke and her father and, um, you know, within two years of losing her mother, and now they're orphans. Not to mention all the unspoken suffering 
widows in our congregation still struggling with lingering sadness and losing their husband. Because a lifetime of memories does not go away. And now that I say that, we have orphans and widows in our congregation. What does the book of James say? True religion that God accepts is to take care of orphans and widows in their distress, right? Okay, I'm going to let that go. Miscarriages that no one knows about. Unexpected financial struggles that families go through. Struggling marriages that people are trying to keep together. Parents that are suffering with children who are not walking with the Lord. Or parents who have to watch their children suffer through broken relationships or sickness. Like I said, we don't have to look very hard to find someone in Calvary Bible Church who is suffering. So this morning I wanted us to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and get some godly instruction for how we are to respond to these situations so that we are not broken by them, but rather energized to continue to serve the Lord through them. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to go 12 through 19. We'll start at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. All right, we'll stop there first. If you're taking notes, the first thing you need to do is draw a line down the middle of your page. On the left side, write, do not. And on the right side, write, do. Okay? The first category of response to suffering is something that we should not do. And that is, be surprised or astonished. Peter tells us not to do this because why? This is, this is our normal, natural, human reaction to suffering. When bad things happen. And so apparently the original readers of the letter, they were shocked and dismayed and confused that they were suffering. Why is this happening? Perhaps, perhaps the thought had set in that because they were now Christians, everything should always work out and they should not suffer anymore. And the truth is that that's not far from much of the teaching we have in Christianity today, right? Especially in the health and wealth, prosperity, your best life now movement. You're a child of God. So you should have, always have what's best. And if you're struggling with health or finances or relationships, you're not living right. Because God would never let his children suffer. But this verse tells us not to be surprised that we suffer. What happens when we are surprised or astonished or amazed? We stop what we're doing, right? We stop and, we, and our jaw drops and we're amazed. Uh, I saw a video of, and you've probably seen some of these too, videos of storm chasers that are out watching tornadoes, videotaping tornadoes, and they forget to get out of the way of the tornado because they're so amazed at this huge, amazing, awesome, powerful thing. And that's what happens to us when we're in awe of our suffering. We lose the momentum of living our lives and we spend all our time asking the question, how could this happen? Or, or what's the other version? Why is this happening to me? We become paralyzed, right? So we move from 
from shock and awe to being paralyzed. And then that's when fear and depression and hopelessness sets in. Peter tells us instead to face the reality of the suffering with what? Verse 13 tells us. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So on the right side of your paper, write rejoice. This is the thing we do. Instead of being surprised, rejoice. Our initial response to suffering needs to move from shock and awe to rejoicing. Why? Because we are happy about experiencing pain and loss? No. And I'll tell you, only the cruelest of preachers would tell you that you should be happy about suffering. Somehow enjoy your suffering. It's ridiculous. Our joy comes from the fact that we share in Christ's sufferings. Okay? We are identifying ourselves with Christ. Peter could say this because, why? He experienced the exact same thing. In Acts 5, verse 41, right after being beaten for preaching the gospel, preaching the resurrection of Christ, they went away, what? What did Peter do? They went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Suffer for his name. So suffering is a part of our process to becoming more Christ-like. Hebrews says that Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. And so do we. And as we identify with Christ, the world loses its vice grip on our affections. John Piper has written, Suffering with joy proves to the world that our treasure is in heaven and that this treasure is greater than anything this present world has to offer. When our affections are freed from the world by suffering, what happens? We start to anticipate Christ's return even more. The verse says that we rejoice now so that when Christ returns and we finally see him, we will not only rejoice, but with exaltation. Some of your translations might say exceeding. Right? It's rejoicing on steroids. We learn to rejoice in suffering now so that we can exceedingly rejoice when Christ returns and there will be no more suffering. So our suffering gives us an opportunity to show the world that Christ is more valuable to us than anything, even our comfort. And we can't wait for the day that we see him. Rejoicing in our identity in Christ keeps us looking forward instead of being overwhelmed by the things that are happening to us now. And, you know, as soon as I finished typing that sentence, as I was preparing, my computer crashed. <laughs> and so I had to go through hours of trying to figure out, how am I going to get this message back? Um, and so I just had to, I said, okay, God's trying to teach me to put this into practice before I preach it, right? And so um, I say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to become more Christ-like as I prepare this message. <laughs> However, Peter introduces an exception to our suffering. 
verses 14 and 15. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, and he gets specific, specific the type of suffering here, and it's uh, persecution. But if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. So on your left side, do not suffer for sin. Do not suffer because of your own sin. And accordingly, do repent. In our culture today, it is so easy to play the victim. Am I right? Everybody's looking to sue everybody. Everybody else is to blame. No matter what we do, we find a way to make excuses for the situations we find ourselves in. Many times that we have put ourselves in. We, we get caught breaking the rule and we're mystified at the consequences. Right? And then we talk about how stupid the rule is, so it's the rule's fault that we break it. It was just asking to be broken. Parents, how many times your kids use this? That's a dumb rule. I don't have to follow it. Uh-huh. But God does not tell us to decide which rules we are going to obey. He doesn't give us that option. Peter tells us, make sure we haven't brought it on ourselves. Notice his progression. He starts out real big, right? A real big sin. Murder. Most of us are not murderers in here, right? Please say yes. <laughs> I will have to switch churches. I don't know. <laughs> okay. In thought. Most people don't get persecuted for thinking about murdering someone, right? Most of the time. So I think Peter's talking about the actual physical act of murdering someone. So, but most of us disqualify ourselves from that. But then he broadens it a little bit. A thief. Mm. Mm. And he's talking to Christians. So, where do we steal? In the food store? Keep window candy? At customs, mm-hmm. if the tag ain't on it, it used, right? I don't have to declare it, right? <laughs> uh, maybe at home, keep doll out the mommy purse. All the children go on. All the teenagers up here, talk to y'all. <laughs> maybe you don't qualify for any of those categories either. So Peter broadens it even more. Just an evildoer. Just an evildoer. And some of you still say, oh, I don't fall into that category either. I don't do anything wrong. And so he says, well, are you a meddler? Maybe you think you're so good that you get to tell everybody else how bad they are. And you get in everybody else's business and you wonder why people persecute you. Right? Don't be a troublesome meddler. He's, he's just, you know... Making sure that nobody says, I'm suffering because people are being unfair to me. And make sure that you haven't brought it on yourself first. Okay? Um, we have a show called Controversy TV, right? What's the point of that show? Fair of controversy? Get in people's business? Hmm. 
Anyway, Peter says, if you do suffer, make sure it's for the right reasons. And when you suffer, verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So if you suffer as a Christian, do not, on the left side of your page, do not be ashamed. Do praise God in that name. What name? Christian. Peter is specifically here dealing with suffering that comes from persecution for being a Christian. So when Peter wrote this, the name Christian was used as an insult. If you were called a Christian, you catch blows from the Jews, right, who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and from the Roman authorities, because Christians would not worship Caesar or any of the Roman gods. Now, you may wonder why Jews didn't suffer the same fate. Right? Because Jews weren't worshipping the Roman gods either, but they weren't persecuted by the Romans for that. Why? Because the Romans believed that whatever was older was better and more legitimate. And so when the Romans came in and took over, the Jewish religion was already established for thousands of years, right? And so they said, okay, you're legit. We won't force you to do anything. You're free. Christianity's problem was what? It arose during the Roman occupation. And so it's viewed as illegitimate and not valid, and where are you guys coming from? You have to follow our rules. Oh, you won't follow our rules? Persecution. That is until Constantine was converted in the 4th century. Does the name Christian carry much better connotations today? Uh, not really, because if you say you're a Christian, what's the picture that automatically pops into someone's head? Uh, bigoted, closed-minded, homophobic, judgmental, hypocrite. Is that what you want to be? I know you don't want to be those things, but are you willing to be misunderstood as one of those things to still call yourself a Christian? Hmm. We are to replace our shame, right? Do not be ashamed with what? Bold praise. This is different from the rejoicing in verse 13 because that had to do with our attitude toward the suffering. But this has to do with our response to God. We praise God because of who he is and what he has done in spite of the current suffering that we are going through. Praising God that we actually belong to him. Now, why would we praise God even though belonging to him brings suffering? Verses 17 and 18, Peter tells us why. Because the alternative is much, much worse. 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? God has determined that our time on earth will be used to refine us and prepare us to live in his kingdom. It is guaranteed there is no escape from suffering for the Christian. And in fact, if you claim to be a Christian, but you never suffer, if everything is always going right for you all the time, you might need to reevaluate. But that's the dream, isn't it? That we can control and manipulate our lives so that we never suffer at all. 
We have bought into this, that somehow we can escape suffering. If I do everything right, God will see how faithful I am and prevent me from experiencing any pain. And so when we do suffer, we say, God, you owe me. So it never works out. This plan that we have to never suffer, it never works out. But we still hope that somehow we will avoid going through this process of suffering in order to become more like Christ and know him better. We want to skip out on that. But God says, no, it is coming. It starts with Christians. The good news is that this present life is the worst that we will get. Whatever pain and suffering and depression we experience here will end when we see Jesus. But for the unbeliever, this is the best it will ever be. And it's not that great. Their their eternal suffering is just starting with no relief. This is why we praise God and are not ashamed. Because through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has provided a way to save us from the coming wrath. And you know, people like to say, uh, suffering proves that there is no God. If there was a God, we would not suffer. I think it's the opposite. If there is a God, suffering has a purpose. But if there is no God, suffering is still there, Right? But it has no purpose. Verse 19. Peter concludes. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That word entrust there. Too many translations may say commit or something like that. Uh, that word is, is where my Greek education comes in. That word is in the imperative. Okay? So it should be must. You must entrust your souls to a faithful creator. This is something you have to do if you want to get through suffering in a God-honoring way. We commit or turn over the concern of our souls to the faithful one who created you Right? And knows how to mold his creation. He knows what he's doing with you. So the last do you write down is rely. Rely. As you rely on God, you trust him and do not get overwhelmed by your circumstances. Instead of being paralyzed by what is happening to you, you continue to do good by rejoicing not sinning and praising God that you belong to him because we know this is temporary. This is temporary. We learn not to rely on ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that that's one of the whole points of suffering is so that we learn not to rely on ourselves but the God who created us and will not waste our tearful sufferings but use them in the best possible way if we respond correctly. You know, listening to that prayer sheet, 
we have the opportunity to be the most joyful congregation on this island. If we choose to rejoice, right? Instead of being overwhelmed, instead of being astonished, instead of being paralyzed by what's happening to us, if we turn that into rejoicing, remember why? Because we identify, we understand that we are being identified with Christ. We are being molded more like Christ. Hopefully that's something that you want, right? Maybe some of our priorities need to be changed to say, I want to be more like Christ instead of having the best life possible I can have here. As I close, I want to tell you about John. John was a kid. He looked about a year and a half old. Uh, He was on the flight with me from Dallas to Miami coming back home. He was probably on his first flight where he was actually conscious that he was traveling. You know, he's like, oh, I'm on a plane. And uh, although when we were on the runway, he would look out the window and see other planes and go, plane, plane, you know, not realizing he was actually on a plane. Uh, <laughs> but he was so excited when we were about to take off. And, you know, you, you, the plane lines up and you stop right before, the t- right before you accelerate real hard, right? Um, and when the plane started to accelerate, he was like, because he was sitting right next to the window, and he said, whoa, you know, a year and a half year old kid. It's, it's fun to watch him. Um, but then we hit that speed where you get thrown back in your chair, right? And you could see his face change. Like, like he's looking outside, and, <laughs> and his dad was sitting next to him, and his dad could see he was a little concerned about what was about to happen. And... Uh, and his dad just gently took his hand and held his hand and said, it's okay. But the whole time we're flying down the runway, John is looking outside, but then he looked back at his dad like, you okay with this? Okay. And then he would look back, and he'd be like, oh, this is freaky. And he'd look back at his dad like, okay, we're still okay. Okay. Holy cow, look at that. Okay, I'm all right. You know, and so, as long as his dad was there holding his hand, He didn't panic. He didn't freak out. He endured it. And I thought, I thought it was just such a great picture of how we can go through suffering. Constantly looking back to our Father in trust, despite our confusion and our fear. You know, some people say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, But I think, I think if we do not see our suffering through the lens of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, our suffering only makes us harder and colder and bitter. Perhaps this morning you have been facing circumstances that are making you bitter or frightened and you want to give up and you think that um, God is not being faithful to me. Perhaps God feels like the great unknown to you, like he did to Adoniram Judson. I invite you this morning to put your faith in a faithful creator. Adoniram Judson knew that God was faithful. That's why he would go back to Burma. That's why my friend Tan in my Greek class 
is willing to suffer without his wife for a while because he believes God is faithful. I invite you to put your faith in that same faithful creator. To believe that Christ has already suffered for your sins so that you do not have to suffer for them in eternity. Believe that he was risen from the dead so that you could see him and enjoy him forever in eternity. I have a song uh, that I've selected not to sing. Um, just to play. And it's a song that talks about the song's called The Reckoning. And uh, it's just a song that talks about going through the storms of life and wondering when God is going to actually settle all, these, all this business that's going on. And it's a song that talks about longing to see Jesus at the end of this. Perhaps this song is a question that you have asked yourself. Bending to your will tonight Oh, let the mighty bow down At the thundering sound of your voice And I can hear the howling wind And feel the rain tonight Every drop of profit in your name tonight Oh, and the song that they sing It is washing me clean But how
of the reckoning The storm is past and rest is beckoning Mighty God, how I fear you And I long to be near you application for us this morning because we don't just come to church to agree with everything the pastor says right we come to put it into practice come to apply the word so uh, at some point today take some time to think about the past year and all the trials and suffering you have been through and rejoice however you rejoice 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 that you are being made more like Christ through this experience. Number two, repent. Repent of any sin that you are guilty of that may require you to ask for forgiveness and mercy from someone. Pray that they will be merciful. Number three, praise God in a tangible way that you are his child and that you will escape from the judgment that all unbelievers face. Number four, pray for the unbelievers you know. That God will save them and possibly even use you as an instrument to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the opportunities that you give us to identify with the sufferings of Christ. Father, remind us to not be astonished, to not be shocked that we go through periods of testing, of refining. God, help us to make the most of those opportunities and to not forget to praise you that we are your child. But I pray for those who are suffering, that you would give them the strength to walk through it, to seek help where they need it. And to remember that you are a faithful creator who is wise beyond any measure that we could ever come up with. And you know what you're doing in our lives. God help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.